Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at three different brief passages from that longer chapter this morning. 1 Corinthians 15. As you're turning there, uh, Talani already hinted at uh, an announcement I wanted to mention. This is week three of a sermon series on new creation and sexuality. And Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. at the ministry center, I'm going to be doing kind of an interactive conversation around biblical interpretation and sexuality. So uh, over these few weeks, I've been kind of uh, presenting some of the, uh, the historic church's views and kind of um, uh, experiences around questions of sexuality. Just given the length of time we have available to us, there's only so much we can do on a Sunday morning. So we'll try to do uh, a little bit more of that uh, this Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. And, um, and come with questions or topics that you want to talk about uh, if if you're interested in that, we just want to kind of open that space up to try to get a little bit more practical around some of these things. So hopefully you can show up for that. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then we're going to look at three passages this morning, verses 20 through 23, verses 35 through 38, and verses 42 through 46. I'd recommend reading this entire passage later this week. This is one of the most beautiful, uh, significant passages, I would say, for the Christian's life. So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, would you stand please for the reading of God's word? Beginning with verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that, that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Verse 42, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. This is the word of God. And you can be seated. So again, this is week uh, number three in this sermon series. Um, if you miss either of the first two, Josh has got the podcast up and available, and I'd highly recommend listening to those because we're kind of building uh, on these a little bit. Uh, you don't want to miss next week. Romelia Williams is going to be preaching, and her topic will have to do with... Yes, I agree. She's a wonderful preacher. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if she's here today or not. Uh, she's here? Oh, I see. This is what happened with preachers. They all sit all the way in the back, you know, which I get. I'm the same way. So Romelia will be helping us to think about sexuality for our neighbor's good, kind of a, um, an, uh, an important perspective that I, I think we often don't, uh, don't consider. So please be here. Uh, please be here next week. But uh, by way of a very brief recap, um, our first Sunday we looked at some uh, assumptions around a theology and sexuality, 10 assumptions that we said would kind of inform a lot of um, our work uh, over these few weeks. 
And, uh, and again, if you missed that, be sure to catch that first sermon online and that'll fill some of that in. But last week we said that sexuality is the aspect of our... Oh, sorry, I should say this real quick. Um, parents, I'm going to be like GPG rated today, okay? Just to be, you know, if you were here last week, it got a little... It wasn't G rated. So I'm going to be good today on that. I'm going to be intentional on that today. So hopefully... I know that's a little subjective. You might disagree with my interpretation of that, but... Okay, last week we said that sexuality is the aspect of our humanity which allows us to relate with one another as embodied, holistic women and men and to relate with our relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Sexuality is the aspect of our humanity which allows us to relate with one another and to relate with God. One of the kind of odd claims that Christians will make is that we can't fully understand sexuality without thinking about spirituality that we are created in the image of God as sexual people to relate with one another, but also to relate with God. And I want to just acknowledge right now, because I've had enough of these conversations over the past couple of weeks, that this can feel like a stretch for many of us, that our uh, uh, own assumptions around these topics have been so culturally formed and oftentimes have been so kind of narrowly defined that to think about sexuality as having to do with spirituality or relationships is a stretch for us. And I get that. It it is for me, but I'm not going to give up on that. I'm going to keep pushing us in that direction because I think, frankly, uh, the biblical teaching around sexuality and sex doesn't make any sense if we don't continue to kind of push ourselves in this relational direction around sexuality. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Keep asking me questions. Keep pushing me back. Help me to get better and more specific about this, but I do think this is important. Uh, We also said last week, as we looked at Genesis chapter 2, that there's uh, kind of four essential things about uh, sex that we needed to notice. The first is that sex is non-patriarchal. The man is called to leave his family and join his wife's family. This was not normal then. It was a kind of uh, non-patriarchal assumptions right at the beginning of the narrative. Uh, We saw also that sex is not necessary for human flourishing, That sex comes after the description of uh, sexuality and flourishing humanity. That sex is expressed through sexual difference. And we looked at sort of how the the language around gender shifts in very particular intentional moments in the passage. And finally, that sex is meant for covenant marriage. Leaving behind one family in order to to join in lifelong covenant commitment to this new family. And so from that, we said that sex is expressing God's covenant love for his people. That sex is never an end in and of itself. That it's always a sign. It's always pointing beyond itself to the God who has given his life for us. One of the challenges that I've experienced preparing for this sermon series is how to think about sexuality in light of the new creation that the scripture tells us is upon us. The new creation that was won for us by Jesus on the cross. New creation in the New Testament is not simply the salvation of our hearts, though it includes that. New creation is cosmic. New creation is God rescuing the universe through Jesus. New creation is the one-day promise that is breaking into our today. Amen? This is what we believe. This is why... Resurrection Sunday is so important to us. It's about our own personal salvation, but it's never only about that. It's about the rescue and the redemption and the salvation of the cosmos. 
And, and I've experienced it to be a bit challenging to think about sexuality in light of uh, new creation. And the, maybe the place that I've felt this the most is when it comes to thinking about our bodies. If you were here for our call to worship this morning, we started by just kind of closing our eyes and noticing our embodiment, our, 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 our flesh, our bones, our muscles, our memories, our heads, our hair, that, that, that we worship God, that we relate with one another as embodied people. Oh, look at that. You're so good. That's amazing. I didn't know that was up there. It's like, what is everybody looking behind me at? You and I, we sit here, we listen to each other, we talk to one another, we study the scriptures as embodied people. And, and I have found this to be a, a tricky part of this conversation because most of us, most of the time, are not aware of our bodies. We're just kind of there. I'd say we, we take our bodies for granted. And so resurrection and new creation becomes very important as we begin to think about our bodies and their connection with sexuality. Paul says in our passage that Jesus' resurrection reverses the curse of death. This is the most beautiful, most amazing news. I will never get tired of this. I was thinking about this this morning. That even death, soaked in the blood of Jesus, becomes fertile ground for new life. That's the depth of God's great reversal in Jesus. This is this kind of spectacular power, and I would compel you to allow your heart to be moved by that. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ reverses and changes everything, even death itself, even humanity's mortal enemy becomes fertile ground for resurrection. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. We think about that. We're aware of that. We celebrate that. We sing songs about that. The part that we can miss, though, is what Paul says also, that Jesus' resurrection is, quote, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Say first fruits. Okay, some of you have heard me talk about this before. I, I love this. I think this is important. But I also know that because most of us don't, aren't agricultural people, we can miss the metaphor here. The first fruits is the first fruits. Sorry, it's not complicated. It's the first fruit, right? So if you have a lemon tree, the first lemons to show up on your tree are the first fruits of that tree. Now, nobody goes to their lemon tree that has two lemons on it and goes, okay, that's all the lemons that we're going to get this year, right? You look at those lemons as evidence of what's to come. For those of us who are not agriculture, like we, I can't look at a lemon tree with no lemons and know that it's a lemon tree, right? I know it's a tree, Maybe I know it's a citrus tree, right? But beyond that, I, that's, like, that's where my incompetence kicks in. However, if there's one or two first fruits on that tree, there's one or two lemons on that tree, all of a sudden I can start to sound very intelligent. There's a lot more lemons that are going to come on this tree, right? Because I've seen the first fruits of that tree. It's evidence of what's to come. This is really important for us because often when we think about Jesus' resurrection, we're just thinking about kind of a past tense event, a thing that happened that accomplished amazing and important things for us, and then that's sort of where we end. But Paul says that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits, is the evidence of what is to come in our own lives. We need to be super clear about this. Jesus resurrected in a body. Jesus resurrected physically. This is an embarrassing thing to some of you. 
I know this because I've had these conversations. Do I really have to believe that Jesus resurrected in the body? Is that critical to Christian belief? Can't I just kind of, like Jesus' spirits? No! The church over time has said that it's essential that Jesus resurrected in a body. He walked, he ate, he talked, he got a little snarky with some of the disciples, he cooked over a fire on a beach, he showed the scars on his hands. Jesus resurrected in a body. And there's nothing sophisticated about that, there's nothing sexy about that, but it is the story that Christian people have told from the very beginning. It's the thing that changed the disciples' mind about what Jesus meant when he said he's the Messiah. Oh, this is what kind of God we're talking about. Oh, this is the kind of rescue that Jesus is about. He resurrected in a body. And that's important for us this morning because when Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits, evidence of what's to come, it has to do with our own embodied resurrection. Are you with me? Get the image out of your head of some detached soul floating around the clouds somewhere. It's not biblical. The Bible is very earthy. It's very tangible. It's very skin and bone and flesh and hair and nose. The first fruits of Jesus' resurrection point to our own future resurrection one day when we resurrect in the pattern of Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Help me out. Are you with me this morning? So so, so, so Jesus' resurrected body says something about our own bodies. But what? Paul begins by pointing us back to the resurrection, this thing that's already been accomplished. Jesus was dead, now he's alive. Hallelujah. Great news. But that very past event points us forward because it's, again, it's the first fruits. So this thing that happened in the past that we celebrate that changes everything also points us into the future. It points us to what God is still going to do when we are resurrected. And to, and to help us picture this, Jesus uses the image of seeds. Okay, Elliot and Victoria, can you all come help me now? Where's Victoria? Elliot and Victoria, come help me. Okay, so I have seeds for everybody. Okay, so y'all just, so start on, start right here, start with your mom, and y'all just pass it down, then pass it back. Yeah, Winston, you can go help Victoria over there. Okay, thank you. So I just want you to have this seed in your hand for the rest of the sermon and and bring it home if if you want to today. Victoria asked if you can pop it. I have no idea, but if you try, I'm super curious what happens to it. This is a corn seed. So if you already are growing a garden, you can plant this seed, apparently, and it will turn into corn. Paul uses the image, this agricultural image of a seed to help us imagine some important things about our own bodies. In verse 36, Paul says that what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Your body, according to Paul, is is like a seed. What does that mean? A seed is not disconnected from the plant that it becomes. Would you agree with me that the plant that that is going to grow out of the seed is going to look very different than this seed, right? It it should. If you have a green thumb, it will, right? But it doesn't, just because it looks different doesn't mean it's disconnected from. 
there would be no future corn stock. Let's go stock. Corn stock, corn plant without that initial seed, right? So the future plant is connected with the seed. Your future resurrected body, according to the Bible, is connected with the body that you inhabit right now. Thank you very much. Can I have one too, actually? Can I, can I have one? Thank you very much. Take the rest. Absolutely. That can be your, your payment, Victoria. Thank you very much. Your body is like a seed. Your future resurrected body, according to the Bible, will be different, will be more of yourself than you currently are now, but it will be connected to the body that you have right now. Our earthbound bodies are the seeds of our resurrection bodies. I have no idea how to read this fact in your life. There's very little, I would say, in our culture and our society that would kind of affirm or validate this idea. And again, my experience with many of you is that this is sort of one of those embarrassing parts of Christianity. The idea that the body that I'm in right now is somehow connected with a seed of the resurrected body when Jesus comes in his glory and his power. To say that our bodies are seeds is to say that we are not yet fully who we will be one day. You are who you are, but you're not fully who you will be. Paul says that our current bodies are perishable. They're subject to, he says, dishonor and to weakness. On Thursday, Marquita and Kalia and Crystal and I spent about two hours with 10 high school students at a local high school. Their principal had agreed um, that we could do a focus group with them and uh, just kind of ask them questions about their lives. It was an amazing, amazing a couple hours. It was a real gift to, to us to get that time with them. And one of the things that really stood out to all of us was how quickly they just opened up about their lives. How quickly they, they told us sort of experiences and details that um, exhibited some level of, I guess, of trust or, or, or safety with us. And I'm not going to kind of divulge any, uh, any details that would be um, wrong to do here this morning, but I I do want to to kind of notice two themes that came up. The young men talked about um, the ways in which uh, people try to recruit them for for gang affiliation. and How older men will will look for them, will find them, will ask them where they're from, what block they live on, and and the struggle, the challenge, kind of remaining unaffiliated. And that was hard and that was sad. But we all agreed that maybe the hardest thing uh, to hear was from the young women and the, the, the kind of amount of abuse that they face on an almost daily basis. Trying to get to school, walking from the bus, being on the bus, walking on the block. The kinds of verbal harassment, physical abuse, stories of having to literally run away uh, from people who are... Ch- and this was, this was kind of a normal story. You know, this was kind of just one example after another, after another, and after another, after another. Not how it should be, but the reality for many, many women in our city. 
that doesn't have to be your story to still acknowledge that the way that our world thinks about our bodies is often one that dishonors and that exploits weakness. Again, using Paul's language. You just have to be uh, slightly paying attention to the sort of media stereotypes about different bodies and genders and skin colors and abilities to pretty quickly realize what the hierarchy is, who's valued, who's not valued, who's sort of given certain attributes, who's assumed less of and more of. I would just say that's kind of the world, that's the air that we breathe. It's a world when it comes to bodies where dishonor is normal, so normal that we get used to it, where the weaknesses of our bodies are exploited for someone else's gain. And I imagine that you're thinking of your own stories around that. We live, I would say, in a world in which bodies become commodities to become to be exploited, to be taken advantage of, to be profited from. And we need to be honest about that. We need to admit that this inhumane barrage impacts how we think about ourselves, how we think about our own bodies. My observation is that when it comes to our own bodies, we, we, we have one of two tendencies. The first is to kind of to escape our bodies, to see our bodies as, as, a, as a shell, as a limiting reality of something that we need to try to push beyond, push our way through, push past boundaries, past limitations. Many of us see our bodies as, as a cage that needs to be escaped. And then others of us see our bodies, maybe not quite as explicitly, as something to be indulged, to be fed, to be entertained, to be given sort of what it wants when it wants it. I would suggest that both of these tendencies come from breathing the air of a dehumanizing world, of a world that dishonors bodies and that exploits weaknesses. The dishonor and the weakness we experience in this life can cause us to think less of our bodies, less of other people's bodies. It can cause us to detach what we think of as the essence of ourselves from our bodies. My guess would be, if someone were to ask most of us, what do you like most about yourself? We wouldn't talk so much about our body. We might talk about an accomplishment, a thing that we did, a trial that we persevered from, We wouldn't talk about skin and bone and flesh and muscle and hair. We don't think about what's most important about ourselves in embodied terms or imaginations. But according to the Scripture, from beginning to end, you are your body. You are an embodied creature made by a living God who deals, who always deals in matter, in stuff, not just in ideas, not in detached realities. You are your body. You're not only a body, of course, but you are never less than your body. And I say that, and my guess would be not many of us hear that as good news. You are your body. No amens to that one. But here's the reason that it is good news and not a death sentence. Through Jesus Christ, our bodies will be resurrected in glory and in power. 
Your body is a seed of resurrection. In other words, there will come a day when we exist as more of ourselves, embodied image bearers of God, no longer subject to this world's decay. There will come a day when the exploiters of human bodies will be vanquished forever. Amen? I'm almost done. How does this connect to our sexuality? The dishonor and the weakness of this world will always warp our vision for flourishing humanity, including flourishing sexuality. You and I need something far deeper and far more alive than the exploitation, than the commodification of sexuality that has become this culture's norm. Without God's vision for our bodies, we will come to think of them as cages to be escaped from or cravings that need to be indulged. I would say to you this morning that everything changes if your body is a seed of resurrection. God's purpose for our sexuality and sex then become a sign pointing to new creation. Maybe we could say it a little bit differently. We don't expect God's vision for sexuality to resonate very strongly within our selfish and exploitive culture. Does that make sense? I didn't get any nods on that one. If our culture tends to think about bodies in a way that is dishonoring and exploitive, then we probably shouldn't expect God's vision for sexuality to resonate very deeply within that culture or society. That rather, God's vision for sexuality and sex is meant to point beyond to God's new creation that has already been won for us in Jesus Christ. There ought to be something a little different, a little weird, a little strange, even a little confusing about how Christian people think about sex and sexuality because it doesn't make a lot of sense within an exploiting and abusive and commodifying culture. Are you with me? Now, now am I making sense? Okay, thank you for helping me on that one. Christian sex and sexuality are a signpost to God's new creation and an experience of bringing some of that new creation into our present lived reality. The ways then that we nourish healthy, life-giving sexuality connects us to God's glorious future, connects us, seeds, with the resurrected bodies that we will one day inhabit. I know this is like bordering on mystical right now. Our sexuality becomes a primary way we experience the joy and hope of new creation. I didn't say sex, but yes. Our sexuality becomes one of the primary ways we experience the joy and the hope of God's new creation. But that expression of sexuality, that experience of sexuality, cannot be simply borrowing and tweaking and editing from an abusive and an exploitive culture. Are you with me? It has to get its life, its vision, its ethic from something completely different. It 
has to be pulling from the resurrected new creation that Jesus has won for us. Okay. One more thing and then I'm done. About maybe 30, 40 years ago, there was a, a Greek author who had experienced a fair bit of persecution. And he said, uh, he wrote this, he said, they, they tried to bury us, they didn't know we were seeds. Anybody hear that quote before? It's actually popped up in more recent times, especially around the Black Lives Matter movement. It's an older quote. They tried to bury us, they didn't know we were seeds. That's a profoundly Christian idea. That our lives have been buried in Christ. Now that's not the end of our story, it's the beginning of our story. That within you is a seed of resurrection. That something about you will, be, will continue into all of eternity. That means, a few, uh, uh, that means a ton of different things. It means, for one, y- you need to start liking yourself. It means that for Christian people, any places of self-hatred is, is a profound affront, not simply to the God in whose image that you were made, but a profound affront to the future that God has won for you. Are you, are you with me? That, that, that in any way kind of hating yourself, hating those things about yourself, that this is actually an affront to what God is doing in the world because you will live into all of eternity that you don't get to trade yourself in for the idealized version of yourself, the self that in your mind right now you think, oh, I would love that self. If that would go away, if that would change, then I... The seed of resurrection is already you. Am I I saying this clearly? I'm having trouble this morning. Do I need to say this differently? Somebody help me out here. I get a thumbs up from Josh. How about someone on this side? Do I need to say this? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Roshana. Thank you. In many ways, the patterns of kind of self-abuse and self-hatred that we look past, that we think are normal and excusable, are genuinely sins against God in a very significant way. I say that not to kind of heap burden onto yourself, but to help you hear today that you matter exactly as you are right now. And again, not the essence of yourself, like your body, your hair, your nose, your skin. Your body matters for all of eternity. When Jesus was resurrected, the disciples didn't recognize him at first. You, got, you remember how the, you remember this story? So like, there's a, even on the road to Emmaus, there are two disciples. They're walking with Jesus for a long time. And they didn't quite recognize So there's something different about Jesus' resurrected body. There's something more of himself. But here's what the disciples didn't say once they recognized him. Oh my gosh, you look so much better than you did before. Oh, the, the, the person I always wanted you to be, that's not... No, they just recognized him and they loved him. Who you are today really, really matters. How you interact with your own body and the bodies of others really, really matters. 
how you honor yourself and honor the image of God in other people, in their sexuality, in all of who they are, matters profoundly because everybody in this room is a seed of resurrection. There are no mortal people in this room. And only then, only when we see that our bodies are seeds and that the person next to you is a seed of resurrection, only then, I would suggest, does God's vision for sex and sexuality begin to resonate more deeply. Because this is an eternal story that we're talking about. And this is a story that oftentimes is greatly, greatly at odds with a culture that has dishonored your body with a culture that has found the weaknesses in your psyche, in your mind, in your anxieties, and has exploited those for profit, for commodity. This world has tried to bury you, but it did not know that you are a seed, a seed of resurrection. Amen? So in a minute, Juan and I are going to lead us to the table. I want to invite you to come fully yourself this morning. Bring all of yourself this morning. Bring the part of yourself that you don't particularly love. Like my nose leans a little bit to the left, or you know. I got a lot of gray hair lately. Every time I go to the barber, I'm like looking down at the floor. Is that my hair down there? I'm getting old. (laughs) How do you prepare for that? Bring all of yourself. Bring your embodied self to the table today. It's not an accident that as Christian people, A highlight for us is the tangible physical bread and the tasteable cup. We don't sit here and just think about what Jesus has done for us. We feed on the crucified and resurrected Jesus, embodied people who have been crucified with Christ and resurrected to new life with him. So bring all of yourself to the table this morning, particularly the parts of you that you don't love. God sees all of who you are, has welcomed all of who you are, and sees all of who you are as a seed of resurrection. Amen? So convince our hearts, Holy Spirit, of the goodness of your word for us today. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, our bodies have become a seed's that our bodies are not temporal, that they are no longer perishable. I thank you that in Jesus Christ, what used to be weaknesses used to our disadvantages have now become places of redemption and hope and evidence of your power. That the ways in which our world has attempted to dishonor us because of our body, because of our gender, because of our experience, that in you, Christ Jesus, this has been redeemed, and that we will be resurrected in honor and glory and power. As much as we don't think about our bodies, we are often limited, God, by our bodies and our minds. And so trying to kind of push into this eternal vision that you give us, even using specific metaphors like seeds, this can stretch us, God. So I'm asking, Spirit of God, that you would expand our vision in this moment as we come to the table, that you would expand our vision into eternity, and that we would see why this moment matters, why our lives matter, why our sexuality matters beyond our moment-by-moment experience of it. Convince our hearts, God, that what you accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters deeply, not simply for our hearts, but for all of eternity and for this entire universe. Help us to nurture and nourish the seed that is our body. 
Help us to value it and to honor it and to do the same for one another, particularly for those in our culture who have been dishonored, who have been told in so many ways that, that because of the, 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 the shape or the tone or the, the narrative around their body that somehow they are less than. Give us eyes of faith to see the eternity that resides in each of us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.